Welcome, everybody, to Studio Wesley Annex, our weekly discussion of the lectionary text. I'm Derek Scott III, your host, and Brooke Lawrence is with me, my co-host. Brooke, how are you doing today? I'm I'm doing well. It's, Fantastic. It's a wonderful day. It is. It is. We also are here with Michael Yurick, who's part of the Studio Wesley team. Michael, how you doing? I'm doing great. <laughs> I bet you are. Uh, and, and Michael is always the guy who also, the person, because it doesn't have to be a guy, Michael is the person who actually produces all of our Annex episodes, so we're quite grateful for his work. And want to introduce to you a new member of the Studio Wesley team, but not a stranger to Studio Wesley Annex, Cameron Garrett. Cameron, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Oh, we are so excited to have you. And I'm excited about our conversation today. It's going to be really, really beautiful. We are in the second week of Epiphany, which in a minute I'm going to talk about a little controversy about the second week of Epiphany. We'll get there. But we're going into the second week of Epiphany, um, or at least the, the scriptures for the second Sunday of Epiphany. Again, a little bit of controversy. We don't get there. But Michael is going to open us up in prayer. So, Michael, if you would like to, please. God, thank you for letting us come here together with these scriptures every week with new friends, old friends, all of the above. Um, please be with us as we engage with these scriptures, hoping that whoever engages with this content might find them useful or that they may spark further conversation, stem something beautiful from the words you've given us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So excited. So our conversation today is going to center around 1 Corinthians 1, Isaiah 49, Psalm 40, and John chapter 1. It's going to be so, so good. Such a rich conversation. Um, but we're going to go ahead and go into it. And I get to be the New Testament text person this week. So I'm going to talk about 1 Corinthians 1. But before I do that, I just want to name that this is what the controversy is about this being the second week of Epiphany. So Epiphany starts technically on um, January 6th. Okay, that's usually, the, that's, that is the beginning of Epiphany. And then usually the, either the Sunday before or the Sunday after is quote unquote Epiphany Sunday, the first <laughs> Sunday in Epiphany. And then usually because of that, the second Sunday is, Baptism of the Lord's Sunday. But this year, because of the calendar, the first Sunday being the first Sunday of the year, somebody's going to send me a note and explain to me why. The first Sunday of the year is not called Epiphany Sunday, though some people preached an Epiphany message. Pastor Haley Eccles preached an Epiphany message at San Marco Church in Jacksonville. Cool, beautiful even though Epiphany hadn't actually started. So she was sort of um, preempting and anticipating Epiphany. I appreciated that. It was the second Sunday in Christmas tide, and I was still in Christmas season mode, and she was too, but she, okay. And so then we had January 6th, and then we had the first Sunday um, of Epiphany, which was actually the baptism of the Lord Sunday, which is usually the second Sunday of Epiphany. And this is why it's weird, because my pastor, Ben Richards, preached a baptism of the Lord Sunday sermon on the that Sunday, right? Um, I'm preaching at a church in Des Moines, Iowa this Sunday, and guess what it is for them? Baptism of the Lord Sunday. You know why? Because the first Sunday, after Epiphany, they decided to preach an Epiphany sermon. 
And I just want to name that these are one of the moments that I want to sit down with the people who decide the Christian calendar and say, can we do some tweaking here? Because this was confusing for a lot of people. I mean, I just kind of got like hit in the face with the baptism of the Lord Sunday. I was just getting into Epiphany. Anyway, some of you are going to be excited about that. And others of you are going to be like, Derek, can you just talk about the text? And so I'm going to get over to the text. I'm going to flip. Michael is going to give me the center stage. I appreciate you, my friend. Um, Y'all know me. I'm here for the center stage. No, that's not really true. Okay. First Corinthians, this is the longest commentary I've ever given prior to actually going into the text. Okay. So first Corinthians one, Beautiful, beautiful text. Paul is speaking to the hot mess of church that is the church in Corinth. I'm sure any church that existed after the church in Corinth could actually rival its hot messness. But as far as the New Testament Pauline letters are concerned, the church in Corinth is the hot mess example. Okay. I love what Paul says here. Um, it started at verse five. And again, I want to remind us that we are in the season of epiphany, um, the season of light, the season um, where God is revealing something, something that possibly has always been there, but now we see it with fresh spiritual eyes. We see it in a way that opens us up uh, to the new thing that God wants to do. Okay. Verse five, that is you, I should start at verse four since the, this translation is sort of right in the middle. I thank my God always for you because of God's grace that was given to you in Christ Jesus. That is, you were made rich through him in everything, in all your communication, in every kind of knowledge, in the same way that the testimony about Christ was confirmed with you. The result is that you aren't missing any spiritual gift while you wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Y'all, okay, there's so much there, but I want you to see the sandwich of these couple of verses. The top of it is, you were made rich. And then the bottom of it is, you aren't missing any gift. And I hope that we would um, step into sort of, sort of this context that Paul is displaying for us, that we have been made, this is the context that we as followers of Jesus already live in, that we have been made rich in everything through God's grace. Therefore, we lack nothing. I want to say that I don't think Paul is talking practically. Just my my understanding of first century AD, um, Corinthians, this is not the richest part of the empire. And even if there are rich people in the empire, more than likely, they're not the people getting this letter from Paul. More than likely, it's folks who are figuring it out day in and day out, right? Like one, you know, one one, um, what am I trying to say? One resource uh, for that day, a daily bread, right? Like this is not a text that's being written to people who are well off. This is written to people who are uh, day by day, hand to mouth, okay? I say all that to say that Paul is then trying to show them something about the life they're living in Christ. He wants them to see it. He wants them to feel it. He wants them to step into it. And so this is what gets me inspired. And this is a this is a kind of in the realm of, you know, when I'm uh, doing my work in therapy, at times my therapist will ask me to unpack the story I'm telling myself about my life right now. And that story isn't everything, 
But that story becomes important for how I move in, in my world, how I make some decisions, how I even see my own identity. And so what I love what Paul's doing here at the very beginning of this letter to the Corinthians is that he wants them to think about this story that they should be, they could be telling themselves about their journey with Jesus, that because of what God has done in Jesus, we've been made rich. And what does it mean to be made rich? I mean, I think that there's definitely a capitalistic kind of mindset that we could go to. There's a, a sense of um, b- being in an affluent part of society um, and having status because you have so much. But I think at the core, the idea of being rich is that, and this is the, bo- the if, you know, the being rich at the top of it, the bottom is that you lack nothing. It's that there isn't lack. That when you recognize that there's need, some kind of need, you know that you have the capacity to fill that need. And here's what I think Paul's trying to open up for us, that as Jesus is revealed in our lives, we begin to see that everything we need, we already have in him. And I want to name, again, that is not practical. That is not speaking necessarily to the actual context of your life. But this is what Paul is trying to, I'll use the word, impose on those who are following Jesus. And so as I think about that, I think about that in the context of Epiphany. I wonder in what ways in my life, because I am on this journey with following Jesus, that I have already been made rich. This is really important for someone like me. I'm an Enneagram 5. One important thing you should know about Enneagram 5 is that we are very protective of our energy. We do not want to be in a place where we have given so much of our energy away that we find ourselves lacking. And one of the things that happens to me as I move towards growth is that I trust that I actually have enough energy to do that which is asked of me in this world, that I'm actually more full of energy than I realize that I give myself credit for. And so part of my work, part of my growth is to not be stingy with my energy, but to actually be present with people, to be present in the moment, to not be afraid to step into space and to bring my full self. I'm not going to be depleted. I'm actually going to have everything that I need. And Yes, for me, that goes all the way to my relationship with Jesus, that in Jesus, I have the energy I need to step into spaces and to give of myself. I wonder what that might mean for you all, like college-age young adults, right? Like going back into classes for some of you, going back into work for others of you, trying to still figure out what the heck is going on in this stage of life. In what ways could our relationship with Jesus create a context that we lack no spiritual gift. And so that's what I've got. I, it's a question. It's it's it, And because this is not practical, I'm not going to make it like a, this is an affirmative. No, it's a question. In what ways could it be that because we are following Jesus, as we continue to follow Jesus, continue to be on this journey in his direction, that we find, we could find ourselves not lacking any spiritual gift. And so that's the question I leave for you. Um, I now open it up to my friends who can say to me, hey, Derek, I don't know how I feel about that. Um, But yeah, that's what I got. First Corinthians 1, 1 through 9. Such a great epiphany text. What do you think, friends? Okay, I'm ready. Um, (laughs) I'm so excited. Um, I, um, 
every year, I don't know when this started, but you know, I'm not alone in this. Like the new year starts and you're like this year, I'm going to read the whole Bible. Um, yeah, um, I'm on that again and I'm trying the immerse Bible reading plan, but like I'm not, I'm just doing it with a podcast because I don't have any money. So I'm just doing it with the podcast. Anyway, I, I listened to the podcast where they like read through First Corinthians today. And I really need to get on like Mastodon so I can like do the equivalent of like live tweeting my reactions to it. Cause the whole time I was just like, Paul is so done. Like he's not here, like he's not here for it. And it's so I don't know. Like I wanna give Paul and I'm 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 really I'm trying to believe because he says all this stuff. He's like, I'll be like, don't judge anyone, don't judge anyone. And then literally like two paragraphs later, he's like, but judge the people in your community. Like you must. And then he's like, I don't know, he's just like ripping them apart. And then he's like, but if you don't have love, like none of it matters. So I'm like, okay, I guess he's saying this with love. I don't know. I don't know. It's a wild ride, but but that really, I think, makes the opening more significant to me. Because the thing he's doing, right, is he's like, he's not ripping them apart. He's like tearing them down to build them up. Like, he might literally say that. Like, he's like, it's not the first time he's done this, right? Like, this is basically how his letters go. He's like, hey, like, I love you. You're doing great. Like, keep doing the good work. And like, please stop getting everything completely terribly wrong immediately. <laughs> like for the sake of the world, just stop. Um, but but the fact that he, he sees all the problems in this community and you get the sense like he is suffering, like every mistake they make, like keeps him up at night. Like it hurts him, like it causes him pain. <laughs> But for him to know that and to feel that way and to still say, you have everything you need in Christ Jesus. Like you have everything you need in God already. Even, 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 with, even with all of your problems. Um, that's very, um, I don't know if you can hear Roscoe barking. Yeah. He's a good fellow. Um, welcome at the table. It's I, I would yell at him, but that would be a whole thing. Um, but, um, yeah, I find that really beautiful. And the other thing that I want to say is, yeah, when I was convinced that I couldn't be a Christian in community with other Christians, I, um, I would read these texts on one of the times that I was trying to read through the whole Bible. And, and I would think about how important community is to the Christian life that's communicated to us in the New Testament. And I would just feel like, I don't know, like how was I going, how was I going to get that if I couldn't get that? And I I just feel gratitude that I do have a community where like all the spiritual gifts are present, even in like the mist of all of the problems that humanness inevitably brings. Um, and I feel um, committed to making more spaces like that where people who feel like they can't be welcome in those spaces can find those spaces. Yeah.
end. I'm going to stop talking now. Thanks. Brooke. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll say that I, I wonder, Derek, about um, the actual practical, because you kept saying like that we're talking about the fullness of the richness of our spiritual lives in Christ. And I wonder about uh, the actual ramifications of the practical effects of the claim that Paul is making to the church in Corinth. Um, because Paul operated in a world that is similar to ours and that there's this sort of overarching cultural narrative is of economies of scarcity, actual, literal, physical economies of scarcity where there are not enough resources and there are some who have and some who have not. Um, and then I, I think about how Paul is, Paul's life is dedicated to witness, witness to um, life in Christ. Uh, and, and Jesus came to witness to the kingdom of God as it's revealed in him. And there's this overarching subversive and alternative witness to a reality where um, there, there is enough. And it's not just the case that there is enough for you as a, a person of worth, of spiritual worth and of emotional worth, but also as a, a body, as, as somebody who needs to eat and somebody who needs shelter. So when I hear Paul preaching as, as a, an upper, upper middle class educated person in the United States, and I hear Paul talk about the richness or fullness of Christ, I think about not only my worth, um, but what, how my identity as a Christian influences um, my responsibility to alternative realities, uh, liberating realities like the richness or the fullness of creation in our community, um, which includes the richness or fullness of Christ in um in daily bread, in the giving of actual physical daily bread. I'm in, sorry, my dog is also reacting to the barking now. Um, I, I'm gonna be honest. I like I like got really wrapped up in my own brain. Just for, like I don't have much to add. Just the the statement of riches and having stuff, riches lacking nothing. I just like haven't actually ever heard that before. I don't know if it's a very common phrase or not, but I've never heard it before. And I've just got really wrapped up in the, in the implications of that and like whether or not that <clears throat> strips the ability or like the strips the, the definition of what like, and what envy looks like uh, regarding like materialistic things, because it definitely becomes a, a more inward conversation than an outward one with that. Again, not much to add, just, really got sucked into that concept love it all good wow that was i i loved all that i got from you all from from that text uh that response so thank you uh brooke you're gonna take us into the isaiah 49 text if you are ready so hello um i'm doing isaiah 49 one through Seven. And when I when I picture 49, 1 through 7 in my head, it's like pretty short, right? No, it it goes on for a little while. I do recommend reading it yourself. Um 
So in last week's episode, I talked about my struggle with reading the lectionary texts and avoiding anti-Semitism through supersessionism, which is a word that like, I don't even know the definition of. I'm trying to not read it in a way that acts like this isn't good news for the people who were hearing it at the time. And that doesn't erase the context in which it was literally given. Um, while also acknowledging that as a Christian, I read it in light of Jesus, but to hold both of those parts together. Um, but the problem is I really, I really don't know enough about Isaiah. I don't know exactly what it meant to the people who heard it. And I honestly, I just didn't, I didn't do that deep dive research before coming on here today, which hopefully I would if I was ever a pastor and preaching on something like this. Um, but there are parts of it that are beautiful to me. And I'm going to point that out. So, um, and I just, especially when I talk about books like Isaiah, like I don't know anything about Isaiah, right? Like I've definitely, <laughs> I've listened to so many Bible reading plans that go through it, but like on three times speed. So like, I don't really know what's going on here. So, but what I do know from my experience, like just glimpsing Isaiah passages, reading one every now and then, in my experience, there's Isaiah passages that like give me like the warm and fuzzies. And then there's Isaiah passages that like, I don't know, I have to like unpack and, um, <laughs> and like deal with all of my inner feelings and thoughts and questions about the world. Um, and this is one, this is one of the warm and fuzzy ones. So I highly recommend, um, I, there's that passage, um, the Lord called me before I was born while I was in my mother's womb. He named me. Again, I don't know what that means to the people, but I do, I do love this idea. Um, I've been thinking a lot about different religions and different spiritualities and, um, and I'm the type of person, I think that God is love and God is present in most every viewpoint, perspective, religion, worldview um, that I can imagine. Like God is present in love because God is love. Um, and so many different religions and perspectives show that love in a way that I think is Christ-like. But one thing that I really do appreciate about Christianity, as I understand Christianity, is the personalization of it, where it's like God is human and God is real and God came here and God is with us and God knows you and made you and God loves you. That sense of like, you are beloved um, and you are seen and you are known in the ways that there is a story and we are still a part of that story. Those are the parts of Christianity that um, they're just so, so incredibly beautiful to me. And again, I could be like way off about this. Like, I don't know if, <laughs> I don't know if Isaiah is saying like the Lord called me before I was born, if he's talking about a prof a prophetic person, but I, but I love that sentiment of God knew me before I was born and God named me um, and God's called me. And I, I think that's a really beautiful 
beautiful sentiment. Um, it also love. Um, I'm the type of person, like, there are certain words that I see and they just, like, light me up, right? Of course, it varies wildly from tra um, translation to translation. Um, I'm going to read first Isaiah 49, 6. He says, Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel? I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Then we run into the problem, right? If I don't know, <laughs> I don't know enough about the historical context that this was said into. Um, <laughs> so we know, I, I, I believe, I, I read this and like, oh, my servant, Jesus, right? I read that. But thinking of it in context of good news for the people who originally heard it. Um, I love the word light. I, I love this idea of being a light to the nations and that God calls the people that, <laughs> the people that follow God to be a light. Um, and that can mean so many things, right? We can have different ideas of what does it look like for me to shine light? What does it look like for my community to shine light? But I, I don't know, it, it brings me back to First Corinthians and what Paul says about, um, not in our reading, but in First Corinthians about like love, like love is the language of God. Love is Love is the universal. Love is the way that God appears. And to me, and I see this in many places, I'm afraid to make generalized statements, but I think I think to be light and to create life, light is to show love. And I, um, I don't know if they, if they would have said that in the original context, but it's hard, it's hard for me to not, to not imagine it meaning that when it says, I give you, I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And I do have this idea that in, in the historical context, the people who heard this would have understood themselves as God's people who are meant to hold the truth about God, but that that truth would reach to the ends of the earth. I am, but this idea that what they hold is a gift for themselves, but also to everyone else around them. Um, I think that's a beautiful message. I think that's a loving message and I'm, um, I'm grateful for it. And I mostly feel called to learn more about the historical real context of Isaiah. But, um, but I also, it really does strengthen my understanding of this day and our faith to, to think about, to think about the Hebrew Bible, um, to think about the Hebrew Bible in the context of where it came before and to expand my understanding of Jesus and what he means and his story by 
extending my understanding of um, of the whole story that's given to us in the Bible. Wow. Thank you, Brooke. I'll just I'll just say that um, two things can be true. One is that the the perspective of the original hearers of this prophecy need to be taken into account. Need to be there needs to be effort to understand, and also this is why it's more than just a history book. There's something breathing and living and current and 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 right now about these words. And one does not negate the other. If anything, they continue to inform the other. Um, but I appreciate, I mean, I'm I'm the guy that pulls out five commentaries to get through two words <laughs> in a verse, right? Like um, I appreciate the coming to the text honestly as a just a, a, a follower, a follower of God and reading words that have been attributed to God. Um, and I think in, in many ways that that is what Isaiah is is trying to do in this text. Like uh, I, I love, I, I agree with you. I love this light uh, thing that I wanted to be a light. I mean, I've got to think of epiphany and I'm not sure if the original hearers were excited about these words because um, sometimes light comes at a point that we want to stay asleep. And often words of prophecy come to us and call us to do something that we're like, I don't know, if I, I don't know if I want to do, I don't know. And here's the prop, like the prophecy is like light that won't be extinguished in front of us. Um, and so it would be interesting to do the deep dive and to see in what ways the original hearers, and not just the original hearers, right? Because there is a, a tradition of hearing. There is a community of hearing. People have been hearing Isaiah 49 for some thousand, couple thousand years, right? So like, what have we been hearing what is light that has continued to shine? And I, I would even say that listening to you today and getting to that particular part of like, is it, in my translation, it says, is it enough? Is it enough that that the, the light, the salvation of God would just be for our people? No, it's not. And then I'm like, all right, Isaiah, third Isaiah, like I, I see you. I don't know. And this is this is the epiphany. The epiphany is that there is it is not enough that the light just hits my nice little group of people. Um, so lovely, lovely, Brooke. Thank you, uh, Cameron, Michael. Y'all got any thoughts? Yeah, I, I love Derek that you just to um, sort of riff off of what you just said uh, that sometimes that when we talk about light being a light, uh, that I, I interpret it in my context in the same way that Brooke does, which is um, that I'm, you know, I'm called to um, not only accept the fullness and the richness of who I am in Christ, but to enact it, to witness to it in the world. Um, and that, that feels good. And then you think about the practical ramifications of what that might mean. Um, and the light suddenly is is no longer um, like a nice, uh, a sort of warm uh, IKEA, warm 
not LED light, it becomes a it becomes a pretty stark thing that casts shadows that shows us where um, where what what does it mean to be a people of God in community? Uh, and, and I think that that's something that prophets in uh, Isaiah's context and prophets in our context continue to have to call us to attention to even when we don't necessarily want to hear or see those realities. I, um, sorry, I'm digesting what Cam just said because I thought that was, that was really nice. Um, I, I like, and this is a very simplistic response. I just like, I read this verse about the like sharp tipped arrow and the quiver or whatever. And I just hear, I hear a lot of pay, like patience in finding your purpose in this is like, want it i like you just you hear this and this guy talking about his like purpose and it's been like planned since he was in his mother's womb or whatever and it's like wow that's so nice what about me and i do feel like the imagery of like a bunch of arrows in a quiver do say like everybody has that you just have to have a lot of patience and waiting for it to get there um and then yeah going into like what what you do with that after you get it that's the step after that so i don't know Brooke, appreciate you bringing an honest reflection um, from the text today. Friends, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Friends, if we haven't met, my name is Allison, and I'm here to talk to you about one of the resources that we have to offer at the Wellness Project. The Wellness Project has two new cohorts starting this spring, and you should definitely join us. A cohort is a mental health module that has been designed by campus ministers and students on our design team. The first cohort is titled Mental Health Overview, and it's exactly what it sounds like. There are eight sessions total, and each session covers a different topic on mental health and wellness to give you a general overview of what those topics are. The second cohort is called Peer Support, and that's four sessions all to do with peer support. We would love to have you join us, and if you'd like to sign up, go to studiowesley.org slash wellnessproject. We're back to Studio Wesley Annex, and we are jumping right back into the text. We got the song uh, for this week coming from Michael. So, Michael, go ahead and take it away, my friend. Hello. <laughs> I'm doing uh, Psalm 40, verses 1 through 11. Like Brooke, you would think that's not much, but it's a lot. Um, so a good chunk of these verses is just David talking, kind of uh, explaining a newfound desire to talk about God with people. He says, uh, I have not kept quiet, nor have I been afraid. I boldly tell others about how you save and how loyal you are, all kind of winding into this. Um, I need your love to keep me from harm. Like, so please keep loving me, God, uh, at least in the way I read it. Um, so I mean, totally honest, a lot of these verses um, kind of paint this like weird image to me. Uh, I feel like there are some people in my life that kind of encompasses that, this idea. Um, it's, it's where you like pass the realm of like authentic into like the uncanny Valley. So it's almost as if like your ability to be personable or relatable doesn't matter anymore because God's going to do that thing that for you. Uh, it's like, if you were, it's like if you were to meet somebody at a game night, like you're playing board games and you're like, Hey, you're making small talk with a person you've never met. And you're like, Hey, have you ever like 
played board games with your brother or sister and their response is like, well, everyone's my brother and sister in Christ. And you're like, okay, cool, cool. Do, do you, do, okay. And uh, yeah, it's like that kind of person for me is how this reads a little bit just with him like talking about how desperately he is to talk, talk about everybody. Cause I fully believe that like, the first step is like getting to know somebody and then we talk about God. Like if we can work that in later and that's not to like downplay the idea of proselytizing. Cause I also like respect people that are able to do that to no end that you can just go up to somebody and like talk about God because it's so important to you. But I just have this very conflicting, like personal uh, feelings about all of that. Just, I, I think it's honestly, if I can quote saying that I'm in the box, like, it's just the whole thing that I'm dealing with myself. But a lot of that is remedied for me in the actually the first three verses of this um, this whole portion to me. So first three verses say, I waited a long time for the eternal. He finally knelt down to hear me. He listened to my weak and whispered cry. He reached down and drew me from the deep, dark hole where I was stranded, mired in the muck and clay. With a gentle hand, he pulled me out to set me down safely on a warm rock. He held me until I was steady enough to continue the journey again. As if that weren't enough, because of him, my mind is clearing up. Now I have a new song to sing, a song of praise to the one who saved me. Because of what he's done, many people will see and come to trust in the eternal. So now it's no longer about just, I'm just telling people about God because I don't need to be personal with them. And God, God will do all the work for me. Now, like, I feel like David is coming from a place of, like, incredible authenticity because he's, like, telling the part of the story that's I think very important, which is like, I came from the lowest of lows and God brought me out of that. And he brought, he brought me out of that with like a gentle hand, right? He listened to me. He knelt down near me and all of these do, this does a lot for me because now I feel like in this scripture, God is modeling the behavior on how we are to interact with people. Like, especially people that are in a low point. Like it's not just, Hey God, God's got this for you. Instead it's, you like, you're very gentle. You like lift them up. You know, you listen to them. Like God listens to David first. He doesn't just talk. I, maybe it's not David. I, I'm assuming David. But anyways. Um, yeah. And, and I feel like then the second step after that is, so after God modeling the behavior is then we also kind of get this idea of like actions speak louder than words, right? Like it's, I don't think it's as much David going to people and be like, God, 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 God is great. God is good. Right. All the things. Now it's like the juxtaposition of like, Oh, we saw this guy in like a very low place. And now he's like jumping for joy and he's like really happy. And like we hear him. It's not about the content of his words necessarily, though I'm sure that does a lot. Again, not saying that that's a bad thing, but it's also about the, the visual representation of like, we, we knew this guy in like a really low point. And now all of a sudden we're seeing him like super joyous and excited. And like, maybe we've never talked to him one-on-one, -on -one, but like now he's somebody that's approachable before he wasn't because he looks so down. And now the conversation has been opened up. And I, I feel like the, at least those are the two big things that I'm pulling from this is like one, God modeling the behavior of how we can treat people that are in a low place. And then two, kind of expressing that the whole context is important. So like, it's not just the joyous product but it's also like the juxtaposition of like the growth that we've made from where we were to where we are now because of God. And I think we don't just need to like, I, I may go as far as to say, you can totally challenge me on this, but like, it's not just 
God did this. It's also like the physical representation of it, of like, you knew me here. Now I'm here. Doesn't that bring up some questions? Like if I saw somebody have that massive growth, I don't need, they don't need to tell me why I can just, I, I now feel like I'm willing to go up and ask them. So uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I got for you. Michael, that, that's just great. I, I, I really do appreciate um, your treatment of, of the text this week. Cause I, I do think that there is um, this sense that the Psalms are trying to do multiple things, trying to get into what's happening inside of us, but also what is God doing both in response to what's happening inside of us and, 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 and also sort of like, did God even cause the thing that's happening inside of us? Right. And then there's this other layer of like, then there's this thing in the Psalms that I think is trying to get us to have our hearts open to what's happening with other people and how God is responding to those other people and how we might join God in that response. Um, Psalm 40 um, is uh, the, the psalm that then is used in this song that I uh, remember singing in my early 20s. Um, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay. I will sing, sing a new song. And it's this beautiful song. And something happened like I got a ping to that memory when you started reading Psalm 40, the first verse. And the thing that jumped out at me was that waiting, that waiting patiently, that, that image. And it was all of it. It was the ways I'm waiting, but also the ways that God is waiting, the ways that people are waiting and what's my response to their way. Like all of that happened to me in that moment. And again, it was just, it was this moment within the psalm, the psalm doing what the psalms do. They awaken us to, I think, what our reality is. So in the ways that 1 Corinthians 1 wasn't doing that, wasn't being practical, in that way, Psalm 40 is like, all we got to do is talk about the practical today. Like all we got to do is talk about what we're actually experiencing right now. And even how we feel like God is or should be or could be responding to what's really happening. So anyway, thank you for giving me all of those thoughts as you were unpacking the text. Cause it, it um, yeah, I just loved the way you were talking. It just opened up all of those thoughts for me. What else y'all got friends? Yes. I, um, it's funny you mentioned singing this song when you were younger, Derek, cause I, um, I was thinking about, and I'm probably, probably going to go to a Catholic service on Saturday. So I'll find out if this is true or not. But I remember in the middle of, we would do the the readings, and then we would do, for the psalm, we would sing it. Um, which was always interesting, because the, they would pick like one verse of the song, to like everyone would sing and then the rest of it would be sung. And you would think they would like go by the words on the page, but it, it never worked out that way. Like it was always, <laughs> it was always like a translated version of the words to make the song fit. Um, but that we've talked about how I struggle with the Psalms, but, um, but having that memory of like the words coming alive um, and the tone of it kind of, 
helped me with it. I, um, I find it really interesting, Mike, that you, um, that you thought about evangelism when reading the Psalm. Um, I've been, um, I've been watching The Chosen. I feel like this is like, yeah, and Derek's like, oh, that's like a whole thing. I have, I have a whole like chosen life. I have, I'll tell y'all later if you're interested, but I'm watching The Chosen and it really is, um, I don't know. <laughs> it's a really beautiful show. I don't know. I really enjoy it. And, um, and it's so interesting to me the way that, because it's like actually happening, right? Like it's not when they talk about their faith, like they're talking about a person, like a real person that, that they can like bring a person to. Um, but they talk about their faith in a way that really helps connect people to the good news in a way that like really brightens up their lives and their hearts. And I don't live in that context, right? Like I don't, I don't live in the context that the imaginary context that like the chosen envisions the gospels taking place in, right? Like that's, that's not where I live. I don't, I can't imagine like evangelizing in the way that they do in the show, but it really has made me wonder like, how can, how can I share my faith in the way that's right for my context? And it is so contextual, right? It's so contextual. Um, I'm not going to, I mean, that's like a great example, Mike, like, I'm going to spend my life like, Brooke, don't be that person at the game night. That's like, everyone's my sibling in Christ Jesus. Like, no one needs that. But um, but I, um, I appreciate that question, Mike, and it's one that I'm holding with me, too. Yeah, and I on on I also thought it was interesting, Mike, that you thought about um, evangelism in relationship to the text. And for me, I just I I wonder if it's the spirit of Epiphany. I keep returning to um, what does it mean, like what does witness mean, and and what is the importance of witness to uh, Christian identity and a Christian life. Um, and Mike, you you spoke a little bit about how when when folks see that a person has changed in some fundamental way where, where their authenticity is suddenly um, not something that is, is spoken about, but is just seen, you just see it. I think about how um, in, in the season of Epiphany, what, what we hope to focus on and, and sort of like what, what the liturgical reason for the season is this idea that there, there is a light inside of us and that there is a light in the world and that that light is something that can be seen tangibly. Um, and I also think about how when, when I think about evangelism, I think about dominant discourses about who are evangelists and what evangelism is. And I think it's important um, for me to remember that when we talk about evangelism, that's a, an enormously, and Brooke, you sort of got to this too, that's an enormously contextual and nuanced and complicated and complex um, word. 
cultural word. Um, and so it, it's good for me to return to it and, and ask myself, what, what is evangelism? Is, is there one evangelism? Um, and who, who has the, who has the sort of like clout to claim that this is evangelism and that this is not? I needed a moment just to take all that in, y'all. That was beautiful. Thank you, Michael, for inspiring us. As we are about to land this plane, and Cameron, you've got the John text for us this this morning, this afternoon, <laughs> whenever you're watching. So take it away, Cameron. Yeah, so I've got um, John 129 through 42. It's a text uh, that really opens the gospel of, of John. Um, and it's it, we find uh, we find Jesus and, and the beginning of Jesus's ministry after Jesus has been identified as the Lamb of God by John. Um, and so I, I I was really I was caught by these verses in particular, one thirty five um, through thirty seven. And I'll read those for us. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. Um, and I, I was really fascinated by my, this is the first time that I've noticed that in the gospel of John, Jesus's ministry begins with a question. Um, and the question is, what are you looking for? And uh, as I was thinking about this this morning, I thought about my, so I work at First United Methodist Church of Orlando. And yesterday we had a staff retreat. We're reading through Ruth Haley Barton's book, Sacred Rhythm. So that's what we were talking about yesterday. And in the chapter that we were talking about, we, uh, we were speaking about desire as the beginning of the spiritual journey. And in this book by Ruth Haley Barton, she notes that um, there are that our desires, what we're looking for, what we want, um, what we're seeking. It's not as simple as we think when I think about what I want, I often sort of I have this internal hope that somebody will just tell me what I want. And then if I actually dedicate time and open myself in humility to what I want, a whole bunch of stuff comes out, including stuff that I don't necessarily want to acknowledge. Um, so Ruth Haley Barton writes in this book, there are desires within us that work against the life of the spirit within us, desires rooted in selfish ambition, pride, lust, fear, self-protection, and many other unexamined motives. These desires lurk within all of us, and that is why giving any attention at all to desire feels like opening up Pandora's box. But it is even riskier to refuse to acknowledge what's real within us. I'll, I'll read that again in case you were distracted by my puppy, Ralph. But it is even riskier to refuse to acknowledge what's real within us, because whether we acknowledge them or not, these dynamics are at work wielding a subterranean power over us. I'd like to return again to my sort of takeaway from the text, um, the John text and from my Ruth Ailey Barton reading, desire as the beginning of the spiritual journey. Uh, Jesus begins his ministry in the book of John with this question, what is it that you're looking for? Um, 
So he's asking the disciples to respond to some internal desire. And their response is interesting. They ask, they don't answer what they're looking for. Um, they, they respond to Jesus with another question. They say to him, where are you staying? And Jesus replies, come, come and see. So the, the disciples, even at this very, very early stage, after Jesus has been identified as the Lamb of God by John, they intuit that although they're not immediately able to articulate what it is that they're looking for, they know that the presence of Jesus in their life has something to do with it and that they want to follow Jesus um, to sort of continue to parse out this complex jangle, um, jumbled mess that is um, human desire. Uh, so that's, that's sort of what I've taken away from the text. Rich. Rich. Brooke, Michael, you got any thoughts? Yeah, I um, I really love that, Kim. That's, um, that's like one of the things that I love about working for a ministry is how you'll like do things like spend a staff retreat reading a book about, that's so cool. <laughs> um, I did, this has nothing to do with what you said, Cam, but I I had to share the image. Um, I am, you know, there's like certain texts I really struggle with and I really struggle with the gospel of John. Um, but when I, when I heard this, so anything that can make it come alive for me, I'm here for it. Um, when I read this passage, I just kept, I'm trying to find the words to describe it. Like I saw like John the Baptist, who is a character that I struggle with, like just acting really dramatic. And like, I don't know, like he's like, like, um, like interpretive dancing to everything that he's saying. I don't know. It's really funny if you imagine it that way. Um, but I, I appreciate the idea of what are you looking for? I actually... It brought me to, I, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I've heard Derek talk about this before, probably, maybe, and um, I've heard people talk about this before, and, and pointing out that, that way of Jesus asks them a question, and then they ask a question, that's so interesting, and the more I think about the Gospels and the ways that people interact with Jesus, it just it feels so true to me about human nature, right? Like just how people act in general, where it's like, oh, I'm going to ask you a question. They're like, oh, well, I don't really, I'm going to just ask another question. Um, it reminds me of, um, you know, when like you're going through a hard time um, or like, I remember when I had COVID, right? Like people are like, oh, like, what can I do for you? And it's like, I can't even think right now. I I just want to not feel this way. Like I <laughs> like when when they're like, what what do you need? When someone asks you like, what do you need? Like, how can I support you? Um, I think it's really wise, right? When we're like connected to our desires and our needs, and we're able to like vocalize that. But it makes total sense to me that the disciples were like, no, like I don't. <laughs> I don't know what I'm looking for. <laughs> I'm just out here wandering. <laughs> like, where are you sleeping tonight? Um, but I, um, I've been thinking about desire um, 
and thinking about, gosh, because it's just something that I feel so like disconnected from, maybe because of like the spiritual messages when I got when I was younger. But like the idea of like wanting something, it's like, you shouldn't want that. <laughs> like You should like, it's, you should not want something. And if you really want something, it means that you should like not have that thing. And I do, I do think there is wisdom and sacrifice and restraint and fasting. Um, but I appreciate this idea that Jesus is asking what they desire. And I think at the heart of it here is Jesus is what they desire. And they don't yet have that. They don't yet have connection to themselves and their own needs and their wants, but they do have it enough to talk to Jesus, to engage him in conversation. And it just, it makes me hopeful that, um, that the Holy Spirit will continue to connect with us, even when in all of our humanness, we don't know what we want. We don't know that it's Jesus, but that the Holy Spirit will still continue to move and work within us and connect us to what we really need. One of the things I love about Studio Wesley Annex is that, like, I just never would read these verses and, like, come away with this, like, I don't know, this affirmation and slow processing. Because I would consider myself a very slow processor. Like, I, I, yeah, I, I, I can never trust my impulse reaction because the impulse is oftentimes not like factoring my needs it's just my wants right so like i have to take take a second really process the question of like what 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 is it you're looking for um so i, I just i'm thankful for you cam for bringing that up uh then i just want to say that like for a moment there i was like wondering well like just because you gave the the translation of like what if the answer to what they're looking for is a teacher like you said rabbi teacher and then i was like well then the next question is like well, what do you want me to teach you and they're like uh uh i don't know right so it's it's still it just prolongs the like okay well like we'll we'll figure it out like i'll give you a little bit and that also just makes me think jesus is like either very charismatic or a little bit coy where he's like come on i'll show you i'll show you it's great I love that. Gosh, Cameron, thank you for all of that and the ways that inspired us. You know, and I, even as I, I reflected on your contribution, just thinking about, you know, I, I'm going to be the guy who's going to be connecting everything to Epiphany right now because it actually is probably the most challenging season for me. Um, because, uh, and I, I invite the challenge, but I, I. I, my loop, my mental loop is what happened and how everything else that happens is just a byproduct of what happened. Um, in um, in Myers-Briggs language, it's the loop between accuracy and memory. And I just, I always, that's sort of where I say, and the thing that pulls me out of my loop is exploration. Again, this is all Myers-Briggs language. And I could see how I could see myself hearing John the Baptist say, this is the Lamb of God. This is the one we've always been waiting for. And so we'll just go follow him. And when he then turns around and looks at me in my loop, like, you're it. And the, the last time somebody was it, I just followed them. I didn't ask a lot of questions. I didn't just, I just followed them. And all of a sudden, like, the Lamb of God turns around and is like, 
actually got a question for you. Like, well, that's not how this works. Like, I just follow. Like, I don't, I don't bring my, and so I, I want to say I loved, but I was actually challenged by you bringing in the Haley, Ruth Haley Barton quote around desire, because what I want is an epiphany that's not about anything that I need to see about myself. I want it to be about all these other things that have already been. Um, but again, this is what I think epiphany is here for, um, in one respect at least, to, to open us up to possibly what already is, but to see it in a fresh way. And as I think about everything we talked about in this episode, I'm focused on the questions that the text brings up for us and how those questions direct our sight. Maybe our physical sight, but really that's not the eyes of our hearts, right? Like where the, 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 the focus of our thinking and even for me, the ways that these questions disrupt my loops, the ways that these questions, the question of, am I rich? Like, what does that even mean, right? The questions that Brooke come up when you hear that I'm, I was called by name. Well, what does that mean? You know, Michael, it's the, the question of waiting, but also the question of God sees that I am in this, this, this miry pit and God is willing to lift me up out of it. What does that mean? What does it mean for, and the ways that like, I could just look at all of these scenarios, the Lamb of God, that's who it is. That's the Lamb of God. I could just look at the Lamb of God and just say, that's the Lamb of God. No, to see that that's the Lamb of God then opens up something new. And it's a new question. And, and so I am, I am just so enriched by today's discussion. Um, Brooke, would you close us in prayer today? Sure. Um, dear God, thank you so much for bringing us all together. Thank you for shining through. Um, in the way that you do. Um, and thank you for being present everywhere and thank you for being present here with us. God, I ask that as we come away from this podcast, um, the people here and the people watching, um, God, that you will, that you will let us know what we truly desire and the ways that that's connected to you. And God, that you will see our questions, you'll see the things that we're struggling with, the things that we are running from, turning from, that you will gently guide us into the direction, into the focus that you wish for us to have in this season and, and, and in every season. Thank you so much, God. Please take care of everyone. I know you are, but <laughs> please, um, Please continue to care for everyone and teach us all how to love and care for each other um, and maybe be united in Christ. Um, thank you so much. Um, I hope you're having a good day. Um, in your name we pray. Amen. So beautiful. Friends, oh my gosh, such a great episode. Cameron, thank you. 
welcome to the Studio Wesley team as well. We're looking forward to seeing you around Annex and some of our other spaces. Uh, it's going to be beautiful. Michael, always grateful for you and all that you bring to the table. Brooke, you continue to be light and joy. Um, even in your last, your, one of your last sentences of that prayer, as, hoping that God is having a good day, just, <laughs> just warmed my little black heart. Like it really did. Um, so, so good. Friends, thanks for joining us. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Studio Wesley Annex. Be well. Bye.